Hello and welcome to In Unison. I'm Zane Fiala. And I'm Giacomo G. Gregoli. And this is our podcast all about new choral music and the composers, conductors, choristers, and administrators who bring it to life. Let's start the show! Hey everyone, welcome to another episode in our series all about ensembles. We have been chatting with choral leaders from around the world about the history, operations, and overall ethos of their organizations. Today's conversation came about as a result of the choral world being a very small one, where everyone is connected in one way or another. Through Bob Geary of Volti, we managed to get in touch with an incredible luminary in the world of choral music, Carmina Schiletz, who is the artistic director of Carmina Slovenica, a Slovenian production house that is truly unique. Before we get into the conversation with Carmina, let's start off with a performance by Carmina Slovenica. From their YouTube channel, which you should definitely check out, here is a performance from the project Slovenian Sounds. This is Piesme Dodolske by Marko Tajcevic. Joining us today on In Unison is conductor, composer, director, and author, Carmina Schiletz. And Carmina is the artistic director of Carmina Slovenica, a Slovenian production house that covers a variety of activities, including the production of concert and stage projects, festivals, publishing, and education programs. 
There are several ensemble-like facets of Carmina Slovenica, including Ensemble Kebataola and Corregia New Music Theater, and we will definitely have Carmina explain all about this fascinating production house, as well as her Corregia technique. Carmina has done a ton of research into music for voices, and her projects combine multiple genres as well as different musical eras. By merging the old and the contemporary, these projects create exciting new contexts in music. They also consistently uplift both contemporary and early unknown Slovene authors. Carmina's work proves that vocal ensembles can be outstanding, versatile, artistic bodies, superb artistic instruments which are constantly opening up new creative spaces. Carmina has received the International Robert Edler Prize for Choral Music for her exceptional contribution to the world choir movement, and from 2018 to 2019, she was a fellow at the Harvard University Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study. Carmina works broadly as an artistic advisor for choral music, is a university professor of conducting, and often serves as a guest conductor and jury member at festivals and competitions. Carmina, we are very excited to have you on today. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for the invitation. It's nice to have a contact so far from here where I am at the moment. It's it's absolutely thrilling to to make these connections and to to meet new friends abroad. Um, and to introduce you a bit to our audience a little bit more, we always like to start with something a little bit more personal and intimate. Uh, and here is an icebreaker question for you. Uh, I know that today we find you in Croatia, which is, you've mentioned earlier, that's where you are. And uh, COVID has obviously made travel quite complicated lately. If you could be anywhere in the world right now, where would you be and why? Well, uh, <laughs> simple answer. Actually, I'm so thrilled and so happy that I am at in place where I would love to be. So I moved to Croatia island, uh, where we have about 2,000 inhabitants only, so it says a lot. It's quiet, it's, it's serene, it's beautiful, uh, ships are everywhere, and um, I mean, that's the best place for me to be during this COVID and also for the future. Fantastic. Do you feel like that's been helping your uh, creative process a bit, to have some space and some quiet and some room for thought? Now, certainly, uh, I can organize my life better because there is uh, less destruction. I spend more time walking and all these uh, beautiful things which you usually do only on holidays, but uh, now this is my lifestyle. And uh, actually, I can't imagine going back to uh, life before because it's... Uh, it's really upgrade of everything to have this privilege to watch the sea from the balcony every day. And yeah, it's, it's amazing. Sounds fantastic. You, you may have some, a couple of new guests coming to visit you very soon. Yeah. Be careful. Very, very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. So can you start off by telling us a little bit about um, Carmina Slovenica, how it got started and when? And, and I know that things have changed over the course of the recent of recent years, but maybe at the, at the, in the early days, what the primary goal and the mission of that uh, organization was. Well, uh, Carmina Slovenica was established in 1964 as a choir. So after previous conductor died, I took this position uh, and then I slowly developed this organization first into more um, ambitious or maybe more avant-garde choir. And then we start to add other activities such as festivals, such as workshops. Uh, and then slowly we move more and more uh, in direction of music theater. And now in this moment we are mostly focused on that. So this uh, evolution uh, which stretched over a few decades was very interesting uh, and very enriching for our um, community as well because we always try to cross some boundaries uh, being musical or social or anthropological, whatever. 
So I think Carmina Slovenica is, and it was uh, quite interesting, um, let's say, production house, not any more ensemble, uh, entity. It's, it's interesting entity. <laughs> now, when you say music theater, you're not talking about like Cats or Phantom of the Opera, right? This is a different type of music theater that you have uh, going with Carmina yes, Slovenica. Exactly. Exactly. The the idea is that, it's, of course, this music theater um, is kind of a new form, but actually it's the oldest form in the history of, uh, let's say, arts. Uh, you know that all traditions and all rituals have all elements, movement, text, singing, a light, <laughs> fire, <laughs> of course, at the beginning. So um, this music theater idea is that it's the, it's theater which is not opera, it's not operetta, it's not musical, but a form out of this uh, well-known, let's say, forms which are usually related to idea of music theater. Hmm. Yeah. This kind of brings us into the notion of your methodology and this new concept that you have created called Koregia. And for those who haven't, um, haven't seen any of Carmina Slovenica's works, we will, we will include a couple of the YouTube videos and some things. It is absolutely fascinating, this combination of theater and light and dance and movement. And um, maybe you can tell us a little bit more specifically about this concept and methodology of Koregia. What is Koregia? Well, uh, just to explain the word itself, Koregia has roots in Greek language, where Koregos were supposed to be patrons of art. So entire idea about developing the Koregia concept draws largely from the Greek tragedy, and particularly the role of the chorus in it. So, but new music, which is always with Koregia, new music theater, uh, however, refers to the music which represents the very base uh, of all projects. It's usually music of our time, meaning contemporary music, but also music which is not so often heard on stages, like uh, medieval music or, um, excuse me, expression, ethnic music. I don't know which is the new... Uh, correct uh, word for <laughs> ethnic, but we know what I mean with this. Yes. So, and also music which is related to certain contexts, like a historical context or sociological context. And we are also uh, uh, trying to perform music written or composed or inspired by uh, women, because uh, Carmina Slovenica has mostly uh, ensembles which are female performers, let's say so. So, um, Koregia is kind of a theater which is driven by music, that's important. And the entire structure, how we um, develop this kind of project has the, um, let's say, methodology of composing same as in music. So it's based on music principles and compositional techniques. Uh, what we do, we incorporate uh, all kinds of theatrical elements such as drama, movement, set, costumes, light, and we place them in a quite equal position so there is not hierarchy between them. Uh, what we very often see with, uh, let's say, choirs, let's a little, little bit limit this uh, conversation to choirs. Choirs tend to add certain elements like movement or uh, speaking uh, to music. So it's like side dish. The main dish is choir music and then there are certain elements on plate which are, I don't know, sometimes they're really decoration and there is no reason to have them but uh, in Koregia we try to use all elements um, equally and uh, sometimes visual elements play the role the main role and the others are contrapunct 
and with this we get different uh, third meaning uh, from uh, placing different elements together. That's basically um, about Korygia. And to, to do this uh, concept, to, to be able to perform uh, such a complexity of um, movement and singing and really uh, complex repertoire, uh, we also develop a method how we work with performers. This is another part of Corregia which is very important because uh, without this method, without preparing performers from the very beginning when they start to be part of ensemble, we would probably be on different um, level of performance. We won't be so much in and so convinced and so uh, totally um, communicative with uh, within ourselves and audience. I think that both is equally important concept as such as well as method how to prepare performers. It's I, my brain is exploding with so many questions and directions, and I feel like. The first thing that jumps out to me is um, it's when you describe this process, it's so incredibly intellectual and heart-driven, right? Uh, you don't just, uh, I mean, it's, I, I don't mean this to uh, take away from sort of more traditional choral groups, but a season is fairly standard. You have an artistic director, they pick a theme, they select some music, we rehearse it, people stand in rows, and now you have a concert. Go. Your uh, process with uh, Corregia is so uh, involved that I have to imagine that there is a lot of preparation work that goes in up front before you even sort of um, find uh, uh, performers and really sort of get the thought out there. Can you take us right to the very beginning? So uh, here you are as the artistic director of this organization. Take us from the first moment that you have a thought and describe to us everything that happens in your mind from that initial thought for a performance or a concert to the first rehearsal. Because I think when we get into production, there's a lot of things going on there. But I'm very curious about the, the intellectual process that takes you from an idea to your first rehearsal. Well, there are different starting points uh, um, where I enter to the certain project. Sometimes... It is music itself. Sometimes it's something what I'm interested in and I just want to have an answer. Um, sometimes it's a phenomenon in society or uh, there can be different um, starting points. And then I start to do research which lasts very long I must say it's it's a year or even longer when I research everything, read books, you know, visual resources, movies, whatever can be inspiration. And during this period, I already start to somehow shower my performers with these ideas. So they're actually in another project, but they're getting... Uh, warm up to certain ideas, to certain philosophy of the project. And I can very early sense if these seeds are, uh, you know, deep enough to develop project and what is needed, because I, I really want that it's a completely holistical experience, not for audience, but for us. We, we need to smell, to, to touch, uh, the project which we are going into. For example, if we would do, let, let's just imagine music by Hildegard for Bingen, just as an example. We know that she uh, is the most famous medieval philosopher, botanic, uh, mystic, and as well um, nun, of course, and composer in a way. So, uh, if I would do something by her, we would certainly go through all her books. We would probably bake cookies from her recipes. We would probably do 
all these spirits she uh, make uh, recipes for us and so on and so on so it's really um, somehow you start to leave this idea and you start to be one with a subject uh, so with this I think you have completely different uh, entrance into whatever we later do it's not that we act something or pretend to perform for someone to understand but we try to be one with uh, the theme and with what we want to communicate and this is a long process sometimes maybe it's easy to see it but you can feel as an audience it's different to be live on the pro in the project in audience and watch performances on video because there is some special re radiation uh, coming from stage um, what is actually result of this overall uh, uniqueness with um, the theme and statement and idea you you started this by saying you know the one lovely thing i think also about this concept and the way you approach performance is it always starts with a concept an idea or something that you want to say it doesn't start with the presumption that there will be a performance maybe i mean yes we, there will probably be but you start with something that you want to say first or an idea that you want to share or something that you want to embody with the organization yes you also talk about how the choir, the ensemble, exists as one, right? That by the time you get to performance, you've become a bit like the Greek chorus. There's a bit which is representative of the audience and people, but the choir itself becomes sort of one voice and one expression. I'm interested in talking a little bit about, during the rehearsal process, you, you've, you've described this beautiful... Um, immersive sensory experience or whatever it may be that is appropriate for the, the concept that you're, you're working on. And I have to imagine that during that process, it goes from, you know, you as the artistic director have an idea, that idea blows up into, you know, 40 individual people who have concepts and, and feelings about it. And then it comes back down to that one voice. What is that process like, the exploration for kind of winnowing down sort of your point or your thoughts? How do you solicit that that one voice from your ensemble what is what is the process of, of um, soliciting that that feedback from your performers um, you know sometimes this is really difficult um, I try to explore this collective um, experience uh, and I try to understand very well what uh, each individual um, carry while is in the group you know that um, this responsibility is always very much different when you're part of a, a group of the people if you for example stand on the street and there is an accident if you are the only one probably this person will run and help but as soon as you have more people nothing happened they all just watch so choir is very much in the in danger to be similar so that uh, individuals they don't have responsibilities they just wait to be instructed you know like uh, you know it, that's very psychological uh, thing so i try to uh, very very often i leave ensemble alone i just step aside and leave them to develop uh, material by themselves and it's very dangerous, actually. It, it has ups and downs and all kinds of uh, confrontations. But I try not to be uh, overall uh, demon above and giving instructions to everyone what uh, they have to do, despite it looks like. But, you know, I also don't conduct uh, this kind of project. So they actually think and perform by themselves that means that they need to establish very good uh, this uh, communication on another level than getting info from my hands so they have to feel uh, and to see from their back and to understand what is going on on the other side of the stage so uh, it has a lot to do 
with my trust. Uh, I really work on these that I trust ensemble and I leave them a lot of space. This is not typical uh, director conductor role because we know that it's very autocratic uh, position. Um, actually, one of the few in arts where conductor has all power, even theater directors are not anymore dispowerment uh, personalities. So I try to swing between my vision, between my ideas and between that what ensemble can produce and then they carry this better. I don't know if this answer to your question, but it, it does. I'm I'm curious also about whether I mean you you you've mentioned that sometimes the topic or the concept for a concert might be something um political or sociological or uh, another way to think about that is that it may be controversial. Mm -hmm. um, has there ever been a time when you've put together a production, maybe you can think of a specific example where the, the, the impetus for the, the performance was so controversial that the process of rehearsing sort of uh, became more um, heated or more um, emotional. Right. I imagine that that might happen. I mean, if you're picking something which is, I don't know, a, you know, John Tavener piece or something British and it's very proper, you know, you probably won't explore something like that. But, you know, I mean, some of your topics, I think, are, are really uh, hitting at things at the heart um, of, of our society. And um, yeah, I'm curious, has that ever happened? Have you ever had a performance that you think back on now that you think, yes, that was, wow, quite, it drew a lot out of us and it was really quite a, a heated or emotional performance? Yeah, actually, uh, there was one case which is maybe difficult to explain to your audience because it's more related to our local, let's say, political situation. It was a project where we sang anti-fascistic music from Second World War period. And uh, as you may know, that uh, anti-fascistic music is somehow related to communist periods in our uh, former Yugoslavia. And then we have this left, right wing, uh, and of course people who are, let's say, religious, were a little bit more reserved in this revival of partisan music. So it was interesting experience because it was some political uh, background and another was uh, also very difficult the toxic psalms which we did in new york a few years ago at prototype festival uh, this project was about um let's say let's say it's simple um evil uh, in in person in people uh, it was about how religion can kill for its faith somehow like this. And um, I try to leave ensemble pretty much alone to be in this collective experience, as I mentioned earlier, because we play with idea uh, how nobody is responsible if you are in the group. So that's I wanted to explain you earlier. Uh, this was very, very on the edge uh, and it was very difficult time because we have a conflict between ensemble as a, a group of people and me as the leader. They just want to have a leader and I didn't want to be a leader. So it was a very interesting chemistry. Uh, but just to go a little bit into this context of um, sociological things, maybe it would be interesting for you. A few years ago, I started to research uh, swarm virgins from Balkan. That's an endemic phenomenon. Uh, women who live as a man. So it's kind of endemic, uh, put it so transgender cross-dressing phenomenon uh, on Balkans countries, Montenegro, Serbia. So that was the research at my Radcliffe Institute in University of Harvard. And um, why I'm bringing this out, because we will end in San Francisco very soon. The thing is that I started to develop idea of music theater piece 
inspired by swarm virgins. And then, after being so much in this research, I turned into different direction. I completely changed my mind. I didn't want to do any more about swarm virgins, but I start to think actually about how we understand exotics uh, other in philosophical uh, uh, point of view, uh, how we colonize we Western people, whatever is interesting for us, everywhere in the world we go there, we, we, are, uh, we give scientific explanations about things which, which we measure with our knowledge and we don't give a voice to original people because they don't have academic language and so on and so on. So this concept I later developed into three books which were published last year. And then on, I commissioned a work to Finnish composer and so on and so on. And now this year I'm uh, bringing music theater in San Francisco where I developed this theme with Kitka Ensemble. We love uh, Kitka, yes. Sure, yes. Sion so, and yeah. Of course. Why I'm, why I'm telling you this long, boring story, it's just to explain that one seed, one interest uh, from like three years ago is uh, traveling all the way to San Francisco and from singing about Swarm Virgins, we will actually perform and communicate Western people, Western um a perspective on something. So that's really, let's say, complex uh, and challenging and nice travel. That's spectacular. I, the, the, the cultural exchange there and the sort of exploration of these ideas is wonderful. And we're huge fans of KitKat, by the way. So <laughs> cool. we'll have to have them on when, when, you're, when you're working on this, because I think it would be very interesting to witness the process and maybe share that um, with folks as well. So I'm just putting out a plug. We would love to chat with you again when you come to San Francisco and with Shira and the folks Certainly. at KitKat. Certainly, yeah. Sure, sure. Let's take a moment and listen to another performance from one of Carmina's ensembles. Vocal Orchestra VOGP. The VOGP project reflects the moments in the lives of women facing suffering and death. It highlights the idea of hope, religion, and beauty echoing from the music produced by the female vocal orchestra in times of violence in the middle of an unexpected tropical forest drama. From their album, VOGP Music for Survival, this is The Captive's Hymn, by Margaret Dryberg.
What what kind of venues do you find yourself and your uh, ensembles performing in? Are they uh, what what are they like? What kind of venues do you find yourself in? Well, that depends if it's concert, is classical concert or church, whatever. Because we also do uh, normal concerts. It can be also cave, whatever. But um, for music theater, for this choral theater productions. I really like to have industrial halls because they are free from uh, any decoration and they're like a cool place to inhabit with whatever you bring in. So that's my favorite space, but that's very rare occasion, of course. So, well, I, I really like big spaces where it's a good acting area so that you can really breathe and that you're not squeezed into, um, yeah, to small stage. <laughs> we had uh, we had an interesting conversation a couple of days ago. Our choir met, uh, the leadership of the choir met to have a conversation about our upcoming seasons. And a thought that came up or uh, an idea that came up that we had talked about was the notion of how the venue may actually impact the audience. Oh, yeah. Right? That sometimes we take for granted that it's like, well, you know, it's classical music, so we'll perform it in a church. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's an incredibly charged space. How do you think about places like concert halls and, and churches, which are probably the two most typical venues? Do you imagine that the audience has that same response as well? Is that part of your, when you think about the selection process of where you might perform within a venue, does that sort of emotional charge from the audience um, specifically about those two types of venues come into mind as well? Well, uh, if not audience itself, it certainly has an effect on performers. And if it's effect on them, then it's uh, also uh, effect on audience. Certainly any um, context which is uh, already in the place, decoration or, or uh, religious... Uh, whatever images it's it's a message and this message is immediately contrapunct with what we are listening uh, it can be of course support or can be destruction i i don't think we can eliminate this experience of visual because that's the most the strongest element is visual anyway so it's for me it's always privilege to have neutral space so that you inhabit it exactly with the uh, energy you want. Carmina, you've spoken a lot about um, the, your performers and uh, the folks that you bring in. And to be quite honest, it sounds like it's a very special group of performers that you, you work with. I'm curious, I, I assume that, that certain things are fairly standard when you audition new members. Of course, they have to be strong musicians. They probably have to, you know, be able to read music and sight, sight read very well and, you know, blend and have a, a decent vocal uh, uh, instrument and apparatus. No, or may, not maybe it. not, or maybe not, actually. I'm curious what it is that you look for when you look for new performers. What's important to you? Actually, uh, I will say nothing what you mentioned uh, great. is uh, on, on top uh, of priority. Okay, it's it's great if all this is already here, like reading skills and, and voice. But for me, uh, I would always go for personality. I will first talk and try to uh, feel the person who is going to be part of the team, how uh, I can develop this person into member uh, team of our team. I think this is more, uh, more important if it fits into concept of working. You can have a great voice, but if you don't blend uh, emotionally and as a person, personality, uh, it will not work. We can teach music, we can, you know, develop all these skills, but you can't change character and personality so much. So that's my first, uh, let's say, selection. Does the size of the ensembles, the group of performers, does the size vary widely depending on the project? Well, um, earlier uh, in my, let's say, 
previous 30 years of career, we used to have normal choir size, which was sometimes about 40 people and depends for concert tours, we sometimes go with a smaller ensemble. But now I don't have any more uh, choir permanent ensemble, but I collect singers from this uh, pool of former uh, singers I have. And it depends. Sometimes we are 16, sometimes 24, sometimes four only. Depends on project, actually. Yeah. I wanted to pivot back to the music itself that uh, is at the center of so many of your performances. And I think maybe we could in particular talk about um, the piece that you mentioned just a moment ago, Toxic Psalms, just so that we have some example to, to reference. The, the music that's at the center of that piece of Toxic Psalms, where does that music come from? Is it composed for you? Is it pieced together from pieces of music that were written in, uh, in the past? Where does the music come from? Uh, speaking of uh, toxic sounds, this is very eclectic uh, repertoire. So it's uh, it was all composed. So I just choose different uh, musics from medieval to you know contemporary and even some baroque in between, because uh, each of piece has certain connotation that I can uh, somehow connect into the, let's say, meta-composition or meta-score which was built for this toxic psalm. So this that was one uh, example. Another example is that somebody composed music for us. That was the case with our latest project uh, composed by Jacob Cooper from Philadelphia. Uh, this was the project named uh, Trenos for Throat, very interesting composer and uh, I really love his music and so it's different approach but mostly I collect works, uh, different composers, different periods. And you said earlier that you work primarily or at least within Garmina Slavenica that the voices and the musicians are, are female. Um, is what's the reason for that? No, uh, the, the reason for that was because ensemble, uh, as it was established in '64, was uh, youth choir. That means that there were few boys only in that time, and most of, of them were girls. And later, more and more, we go into this staging. Um, we have a bit older girls in this ensemble, so not anymore like. 10 years, so boys were, were anyway out because of voice change. So we stay with this formation because it was established as such, but I work with mixed choirs, I work in opera, so I work with all other kind of ensembles. I'm not specially dedicated to women uh, choirs, but Carmina Slovenica as an organization was established that way, so I keep uh, this young women uh, structure, but also it, it was very interesting because the girls are very uh, open to experiment and it's very um, um, interesting that all around the world you can find very progressive ensembles uh, which are actually girls or young women. That's true that obviously this is the generation and gender which is very uh, open for experimental work mm. yeah we uh talked to a director in australia named danielle o'keefe and she has a pro a project a, a company called the house that dan built and it's yeah. it's entirely uh girls young girls who are in who are the singers and danielle talks a lot about the time that they spend and the effort they put into exploring the the voice of the girl, a girl's voice, and what you can do with it and how you can experiment it and mm -hmm. develop it. Is that something that you do as well with the girl voices in Carmina Slovenica? Certainly. Uh, I Maybe uh, I need to stress that um, my interest was not 
in compared to some other uh, girls formations it was not so much sociological okay let's give young women a place to speak or to have a voice that was not starting point at that time it was not yet in society to have these notions it was purely musical reason not so much sociological or you know i think that more and more uh, this aspects are coming to to the front nowadays let's say last 10 or 15 years uh, in around the world yeah yeah there's something that you yeah. talk about uh you talked about it in your talk at the radcliffe institute at harvard um but i think it's referenced on your website as well about team building and that that's a really core tenet of of the ethos of Carmina slovenica and for you overall i think can you talk a little bit about team building in an ensemble? How do you, as a director, achieve that and encourage them to connect to each other? You, you mentioned earlier that it's very important that they all kind of get together and be on the same page, essentially. How do you help encourage that? Well, uh, I really want that uh, they have this um, experience of understand, feel, uh, being aware of, uh, being in contact, in touch. So uh, to give this experience to each of the member, um, I develop certain method which is not uh, used only, it was not used only uh, on rehearsals. Uh, we actually operate in a way, I, I don't understand me wrong, as a sect. <laughs> Uh, as a, gr a special group. So everything was important. The way how you enter the room, the way how we start rehearsal, we always have a lot of uh, rituals. I think that uh, rituals are very important in our time because we don't have a lot of rituals anymore. So I developed the, the whole range of small things which were always around us. So we come to rehearsal, we go and change our clothes, we have exact color, um, you know, all these little things which um, tune people into same intonation. And um, there are many, many, many small things which are important, even underwear, uh, which you have on the concert. Uh, there are all these things which give you a certain um, responsibility to the thing you are doing. So now I go on a con on concert. The procedure, how I enter to this special state of mind, how can I open myself to others? It's, it's so difficult to communicate this now from over this technology. But uh, I just want to say that I really have a lot of small methods, a lot of small uh, techniques, how I engage uh, performance to be constantly present now and with us. For example, when we travel, we never take mobile phones with us. We don't want to have any distraction which is out from our small com community. Yeah, I love the the notion of the rituals and sort of everyone coming together and yeah. you know a lot of us do that with things like warm ups or whatever we all kind of know what it looks like and but the idea of sort of ritualizing certain bits and pieces it feels feels wonderful. Yeah, I um I wanted to pivot just a little bit and go back to something we talked about before, um and and to talk specifically about um a work that is incredibly popular that Carmina Slavenica performed but did it in a completely different way which is uh, Velio Tormisi's Curse Upon Iron, right? It's one of the most popular pieces. It's um, Tormisi is obviously Estonian composer. He sort of uh, walks the fine line between folk and political art. And, you know, he sort of uh, had that same experience of censorship and all these things. And you came along and decided that you wanted to perform this as well with Carmina Slovenica. My question for you is this, because I, I'm having this experience 
after you've performed a piece like that with your group, which is so different, it's so you bring so much to this experience. And for those who don't know it, we'll we'll put a link to the video as well. It's tremendous the way it's staged. There's a there, it's it's um, the the curse upon iron is basically a tract against war. For those who don't know the piece, but um, we'll look it up. My question for you is this: Can you now, as an artist who has explored pieces like this? What's your experience of going back and uh, and and listening to or experiencing or being an audience member in more traditional forms? Because to me, it's interesting. I go and I see your performance of this, and then I go and I watch other videos of other choirs who stand in four rows, and I don't know that I can listen to that anymore in the same way. <laughs> What's your experience of going and listening to? You know, do you go to the? Do you still go and watch other these other performances and? And what do you think when you sit in a, in a very traditional symphony hall? Do you still sit in a traditional symphony hall? Uh, not really very often, to be honest. Uh, I, of course, I listen to a lot of choirs for my work, like being in jury or giving advices. But otherwise, I, I'm not really interested in going to concerts so much. Uh, not for the reason that after experience of very avant-garde and uh, excellent works, now basic music is not interesting, but because I'm interested in other arts more than choir music uh, for my free time. What art inspires you? I mean, I, I, I really like to go to uh, theater and to uh, contemporary dance theater this kind of art I really like, and of course, modern art, visual arts. I, I prefer to to go for myself to these kind of performances. But I want to answer you the question: While I'm here on this island, there is a you know I moved here last year, and I don't know anybody, so I tried to you know find out. Where is the church? You know what is the culture, atmosphere here? And in the spring there was concert of local choir, and I said to myself, "Okay, let's go to see who is going to be in audience to understand where I live now." And I took chair which was totally in the back on the side, so I can leave just after first song. Nobody will realize. But I don't remember ever being so excited on concert of really not, let's say, good choir from this, uh, you know, perspective, what we talk about now, like level of um, vocal performance, blah, blah, blah. But they sang uh, this tune from, you know, this uh, uh, anthem or whatever. They sang this so deep, so emotional, so true, so, I don't know, super the best 100%. It was not perfect in pitch, in sound, in, in nothing, but there was something else which was above you know, any expectation. So it's not that repertoire or level or whatever is important. Important it is, is experience. And if somebody is totally in and it's dedicated and it's, uh, you know, 100% uh, believe in what he think, then I think any choir or any group or any repertoire can give you wonderful, wonderful experience. Of course, it's not often, but it's possible. It is. <laughs> I agree with that completely. I love that. yeah, I That's love something that. I stress to my choir often is that, you know, let's go out there and do the best we can musically. But if we make a little mistake here or there, but we're in it in our heart. It's not important. Yeah, it's, it's not as important yeah. as being in it with our hearts and our souls. Even composers say that, right? David Conti teaching at uh, San Francisco Conservatory of Music, he will say sometimes the most beautiful music isn't, you know, don't strive to write things that are polyphonic and crazy. Sometimes a simple melody sung earnestly and beautifully and deeply with that connection is the most impactful thing you can do. And it's it wonderful is. to hear. Yeah. 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 So Carmina, what's, uh, what's coming up for, for you and for Carmina Slovenica, what kind of upcoming performances, releases, projects that you've got coming up that you can tell our audience about? 
Well, um, right now we are starting to develop uh, one project which is um, quite experimental. I'm trying to do, uh, let's say, reinvent choir. So it's kind of immersive art where I'm going to use uh, audio of my choir solo voices, 24 channels, and I will conduct them through gesture controllers. So I will use lots of hardware and all these, you know, sensors and direct with my hands to samples and to do sound, live sound processing. This is very interesting uh, uh, project, which is also very complex from technical aspect. And then I do another project, which is again related to these sworn virgins. Um, it's called Baba Collection. Uh, it's the same theme which I'm going to do with Kitka, but um, it has several sub-projects and I'm still in this uh, female, transgender, Western uh, side uh, idea. So that's what I'm doing with Carmina Slovenica and otherwise I'm developing something with Netherlands Chamber Choir that's going to be a piece with by Juan Rao, that's composer from New York, Chinese composer. Hmm. Very oh yes, successful. yes, we we've, yeah. we've done some work by Huang Rao as well. Yeah, and I'm also developing a project with Paula Prestini from New York. That's another uh, very challenging and interesting piece. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Many different uh, themes from. Heart Sutra in Buddhism to uh, Japanese Buto and uh, contemporary stories. So interesting. Many good projects in the future. Beautiful. How long does it typically take to uh, get a project from beginning to performance? Well, uh, sometimes it's very long because, um, you know, especially these international things are a little bit um, too long for me because we book ourselves three years ahead and then, you know, all this conversation and planning. But my development of the project, it's about one year. I like to have enough time to really read enough books and to be, you know, well supported with also also with information and also to tune myself and to warm up and to really get into the idea I want to communicate. This has been so fascinating. Giacomo, did you have anything else that uh, you'd like to ask? I don't. I would just love to uh, be able to tell folks where they can find you online, where we can find Carmina Slovenica and more about you. Um, is there, do you have a presence online? Is there a website, social media, things like that? Well, uh, uh, there is one website of me, <laughs> Carmina Schiletz, it's under my name. And there are also links to Vimeo, where people can even borrow or buy entire production, so that maybe can understand better uh, uh, the structure of the works we do. Because, you know, YouTube is very short and you don't really get in. But I hope that folks will come to our live presentations very soon. This and next year, it's going to be in States. Yes, we hope we hope the same, that we can continue to have yeah. live music <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and that we get back to some kind of normal. And of course, we'll include links to all of those websites uh, within our show notes to direct our audience towards uh, your internet pre presence, because everyone should get a chance to see this, because it really is superb and very enthralling. I was up quite late last night just watching video after video, because it's just really, really interesting. 
Well, Carmina, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing about your projects and about your passions. It's really fascinating. And and yeah, I, I can't wait to, to meet you when you come to San Francisco and work with Kitka. That sounds like an excellent opportunity. And I love that we have a, a mutual friend in Bob Geary and Volte. It always comes around. To <laughs> I agree. I think if we take nothing else from this, I think what Car- Carmina has taught us, Zane, is that we need a ritual that begins every rehearsal. And I would like it to include wine. I'm not saying I, it might be nice. Like, like what? Like wine. We'll drink wine. That's how we'll start every rehearsal. We'll, we'll just drink. That's not too bad, yes. Good idea. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Well, thank you again, Carmina. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me and all the best. Hope to meet you in person. Yes. Bye. To finish off today's episode, we want to share with you one of the most recent recordings Carmina has produced, the album D.E.R.T. Endemic Songs from Corrigia New Music Theatre. The liner notes state that D.E.R.T. is a canvas on which the contents of the consciousness of our society are projected. Rehearsed and recorded entirely using smartphones during the pandemic, this is Glass Mask. Written by Telu Turka. Faces and bottles, faces and bottles, she died.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the In Unison Podcast. Be sure to check out episode extras and subscribe at inunisonpodcast.com. You can follow us on all social media at inunisonpod. And leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to let us know what you think. Program liner notes written and edited by Chorus Dolores, who thinks you might have been a little sharp there. Just a touch. In Unison is produced and recorded by Mission Orange Studios. Our transcripts have been diligently edited by IOCSF member and friend of the pod, Fausto Daus. And our theme music is Mr. Puffy, written by Avi Bortnik, arranged by Paul Kim, and performed by the Danish vocal jazz ensemble Dynamic on their debut album, This Is Dynamic. Special thanks to Paul Kim for permission. Please be sure to check them out at www.dynamicjazz.dk.